Second Samuel, starting in chapter 5. So all the tribes come to David and say, you are a king. Even when Saul was king, you led the armies in and out. And so you, the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people. You will be ruler over Israel. So now we acknowledge you are king. And so David becomes uh, king at age 30, which is a similar age that uh, Jesus began his ministry. I think there was also uh, an important age for um, Joshua. And um, so then it just tells us that uh, David reigned in Hebron for seven and a half years and in Jerusalem for 33 years. And so they, uh, David wants to take Jerusalem and the Jebusites who live there mock him and say, you can't take him. Apparently it was a very uh, defensible city. And they said even the blind and lame could defend it from you from here. And so David uh, says, we're going to take it through the water tunnel. They sneak through a water tunnel and then they take it. And that becomes the city of David, Zion. David became greater and greater, for the Lord God was with him. And the king of Tyre uh, sends out an olive branch to David, and and he sends, uh, figuratively, and what he actually sends is cedar trees, carpenters, stonemasons, to build a house for David. And then David says to himself, I need more wives and concubines, which is exactly what Moses, God and Moses, warned the people when they, I think it was Moses, but somewhere along the way, um, Maybe it was maybe it was Samuel I'm thinking of. I think it was Samuel. Um, but God warned you you if you make a king, you you know, they're they're gonna do these things. He lifted up listed off the evils that a king would do, and here David is doing those things. So then it names the um the sons that were named that were born to him in Jerusalem. And it looks like there's eleven of them, including Solomon. And then the Philistines hear that David has been made king, so they decide to attack. And here's where we see the real difference between David and Saul. David immediately, instead of just um, you know going about things in the flesh, he seeks the Lord and says, should I go out against them? Yes, I should. So he goes and defeats him. And then the Philistines come to attack him again, a different way, and a different battle. And uh, David again seeks the Lord. Shall I seek him again? And he says... Yes, but you're not going to, he gives him a strategy. He says, you're going to go around, you're going to listen for the balsam trees, and you'll attack in this way. And so, so uh, God has not only given him approval, but he's given him a strategy for how to do it. And so by doing, by following the ways of the Lord, uh, David sees great success. And then we go on to chapter 6. And so in this chapter, we have the famous story of David attempting to move the ark to Jerusalem. And the, the ark is at the house of Abinadab. And I had not remembered Abinadab is the father of Uzzah. Um, that's interesting. I just remembered Uzzah being one of the mighty men of God. Uh, sorry, mighty men of, of David. That's how I remembered it, um, which doesn't list that here. Uh, so... I don't think my memory's wrong in that, but but maybe so. Um, but what you have to realize about this story is God gave very specific instructions in the law of Moses about how the ark was to be moved. It was made with holes, which the poles that were with the ark would go through, 
and it was to be carried by hand and on foot by Levites. Um, this is not what they were doing. They copied the way of the Philistines and they put it on a cart with oxen and decided to move it kind of the way the Philistines moved it. And, and you know, they were worshiping, but they weren't following the way of the Lord. And so when the oxen moved a certain way, the ark stumbled and Uzzah was trying to protect it from falling and, you know, getting hurt. But the Lord was angry at the fact that they were not moving it the way he prescribed. They were going about it in their own way, under their own wisdom. And that is why Uzzah, unfortunately, the particular thing Uzzah did um, wasn't so bad. He was trying to keep the ark from falling. Um, but but he was also uh, one of the ones who had been caring for the ark for for these years. I don't know if it was years, how long it had been, but I think it had been there years. Um, and he, and uh, he, he basically took the brunt of this uh, for the evil which they were doing. And that's something I never knew that, you know, I, I used to just think God was being unreasonable in these stories until I just came to understand they were not following the way of God and God wanted to have them keep a special order. So David's very upset. They leave the ark uh, kind of there or, or near there at the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and he's blessed and he has the ark for three months. So then David gets told that Obed-Edom is being blessed by God because he's got the ark. And so David really wants the ark again. And so this time he has it carried by hand. And man, this must have been an incredibly slow journey. But every six steps, they stop and slaughter an, a, an ox uh, and a fatling as a sacrifice to the Lord. Man, six steps at a time. <laughs> that, would, that would be a really long journey. And David is dancing his heart out, just worshiping the Lord. And, you know, trumpets and, you know, they had music the first time too. Um, and then uh, his one of his wives, uh, Michal, the daughter of Saul, who, um, you know, probably had a way of thinking how a king should behave because her father was king saw David, David leaping around, dancing, and uh, despised him for it. And, you know, that God did not appreciate that. So they finally get uh, the ark there. They pitch the tent, uh, the, you know, assume the tabernacle. Um, there they, they have a kind of a festival. They give uh, food to all the people so they can all kind of rejoice and in this bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Presence of the Lord, to Jerusalem, the new capital. And when David gets home, Michal starts to to mock him for how he's distinguished himself with all the lewd dancing. And uh, basically says that he, he uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servant's maids, as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. But David responds, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel, therefore I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes, but with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death, so uh, God did not like that, that she set herself against God and her husband and put her 
kind of a slang word we have is heirs. She, she felt like as king and queen, they should have some distinguishedness rather than what David's heart was, is to humble himself before the Lord and to lift the Lord up, not himself. And then we move on to chapter 7. So now David, he's living in this luxurious house that the uh, king of Tyre had helped him build. And uh, and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies. He wasn't having to battle. And so he's sitting around thinking, you know, what, what should I do? I should build... I should build God uh, a house, a temple as as nice as this house that I'm living in. He's he's in a house of curtains, and so he tells Nathan, who's his uh, is Nathan his high priest. Um, I don't think so. A counselor, maybe. I, I don't know. He's a. I'm sure it'll come up at some point. I don't know if he's a prophet, priest, but he tells Nathan and. Um, and Nathan at first says, yeah, do, the Lord's with you, so do what you think. But then the Lord speaks to Nathan. And the Lord tells Nathan to tell David, uh, if I wanted a house, I would be in a house. I have not told anybody to build me a house of cedar. I've been in this tent, and that's the way it should be. Um, so, you know, that's... <laughs> the, the, you know, this is this is not for you to do. And then he goes on to recount. He said, I took you from being a little shepherd over some sheep on a hill that no one knew about, and I have made you king of my people. And I've cut off your enemies before you, and I will make you a great name, like the names of the mightiest men on earth. And I I will plant my people Israel here. And, you know, they they have their own place. They, they're safe, as, basically, as long as, you know, as they seek after me. And in fact, I will build you this house. And so this is figurative. You know, a house for David means an, an, an everlasting family of rulers for, uh, that David's family will be. And verse 12 is a very messianic verse. Uh, I'm, I'm sure um, David probably thought, who knows what he thought, but... Uh, because David Hatton wrote a lot of messianic psalms, um, I, I think some people might interpret this as Solomon. But obviously, Solomon didn't rule forever. Um, the, God says, "When your days are complete and you lie down from your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." So after David dies, Solomon certainly is going to build a temple. And so part of that might seem like Solomon's the fulfillment of that. However, I think even the Jews look at, uh, you know, a Messiah coming from the line of David. So they, they probably even recognize that this is talking about the Messiah. Um, but And obviously Jesus is the one to establish that kingdom and build up. So when it talks about building up a house for God... Uh, that that is the people of God who become the temple of God, as as Peter talks about. It, I think Hebrews talks about it, but being the many stones of a temple of God that God fills all in all. Yeah, I I just it, it's so awesome. I'm just going to read this, turning in fourteen. I will. This is God speaking. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the son of men. 
So, you know, we see Jesus had to go through this discipline, and every son of God has to go through such discipline. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And so here God's talking about a mighty kingdom. Obviously, this did not apply to the physical lineage of David's, um, you know, of his body, of his, you know, physical. His son Solomon reigned, and there's many sons after that, but eventually that that kingdom was wiped out uh, by the Romans in 70, and there's there's no such kingdom anymore. But there is a kingdom through Jesus the Messiah. In order to fully establish the kingdom through Jesus, God brought an end to the former things. And this is a way that God moves. It's a way that God's moving right now in our day, that he's bringing an end to the former things and he's bringing about a new thing. But all this is, is refreshing the kingdom through a remnant that Jesus established, you know, that that God is always purposed in man. And chapter 7 is just just David being in awe of God and worshiping God and thanking God and basically it's a this whole thing is a picture of God with his people and and David here as king is representing the people and representing God's kingdom. I mean, you know, when we see David's kingdom established, that's a picture of God's kingdom established. David's a picture of Jesus, and the the kingdom is us, and and God's picture. So this goes back, the same thing was in Moses, same thing was in Adam, same thing was in Noah. I mean, there's a a picture God wants us to get, because he's bringing this thing to fullness, and it has not been fulfilled in the fullness that he has always intended yet but he wants a people that completely give themselves to him no matter what so that he does can and will fulfill it and is doing i would say but so so david's just worshiping god and committing himself to god just as god is committing himself to him it's a perfect picture of a father and a son the the father and the son is the relationship that God wants with all who really want him, that he would train us up, you know? So with my children, I, I want to train them up in the, just to be, you know, the very best representation of a person. They learn my ways and the best that I'm able to bestow upon them. And, and I want everything the best for them. Um, but I, and part of that is disciplining them along the way to keep them to, on the correct course. And as they mature and get older and older, they'll have more and more freedom to, to be responsible because I've trained them up them in, in, in good ways so that they are more capable of that. But even as they get older and older, they should be coming to me for counsel and wisdom because at that point I should have more and more counsel and wisdom. So you see this this picture of a, a changing, dy- I mean, it's, it's the same dynamic, but it changes over time because there's a, a ever-growing maturity that happens with the sun. And that is the picture of God with his people. He wants to raise up sons. And again, as always, this has nothing to do with gender. This is both for men and women. Um, 
and they so this is a beautiful picture of this 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 picture of God saying, hey, I'm giving you all these things. And David saying, yes, and I'm giving you everything. You're glorious. You're God. I follow you. It's just, this is the perfect God-man relationship, God-person relationship. And this is the picture of a father and a son. And this this is what God uh, wants. This is God's plan. This is what God is doing for those who truly seek him. And then we move on to chapter 8. So this chapter starts to tell us all the conquests. So David completely subdued the Philistines. He defeated the Moabites, which is interesting to me because, um, I don't know, is the king or one of the kings of Moab had uh, protected his parents for him. And we don't hear much about that. Now he's just defeated them, killed a bunch of them. So obviously we don't know the whole story there of what happened in between. Um, and then uh, he defeated uh, the king of Zobah, uh, Hadadezer, who apparently was very powerful. We I don't know much about Zobah, but uh, he had a huge army. He had golden uh, shields, which David took. Uh, he you know he had a lot of good and powerful things, and David defeated him. Also, the Arameans of Damascus uh, came to help him, the Zobites, and uh, David uh, defeated them as well. So now you have Damascus uh, bringing tribute to David every year. So, you know, this is going all the way out to the Euphrates. This is, you know, this is a huge kingdom now that David has. Now, there was a king named Toy of Hamath that had been at war with Hadadezer for a long time. And he hears that David's defeated him, so he's excited. And so he sends gifts to David of silver, gold, and bronze. So, and David's continually doing, David's being favored by the Lord, and he's doing everything in the name of the Lord. He's dedicating these silver and gold to the Lord. He's, he's doing everything. He, at this point, he has a very right heart for God. And so he's defeated all these armies I mentioned. He's also defeated the Ammonites, the Amalek, Amalek. Amalekites. Um, he, he's just defeated all these people groups that are around him. The Edomites also. And so David's, you know, he's just got a huge, powerful kingdom. He's got peace all around him. He's administering justice. And then it just tells us that uh, Joab is uh, over the army. And Jehoshaphat uh, was the recorder, like the, I guess the scribe. And Zadok of uh, Ahuatub and uh, Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were priests. And so Zadok, I think this is the Zadok that many people think the Sadducees, if you think of the word Sadducees, the S is like the Z, the C is like the K, Sadducees. Um, many people think the Sadducees were the sons of Zadok. Um, which could so it would make sense why because the Philistines seem to be more sorry not the Philistines the um okay sorry I got to get my brain in New Testament and it's early in the morning uh, Sadducees and Pharisees so the the Pharisees seem to be a lot more like really after the word of God um, but the Sadducees were the controlling rulers and so sometimes that can be confusing. Well, that could be explained if they're the sons of Zadok. So they're the they're the priest 
and later Zadok ex, uh, distinguishes himself. If this is the same Zadok, I'm, this concept is kind of new to me. Um, Zadok distinguishes himself before the Lord so that um, you know his children are blessed, and then they become the, the high priestly family because they are of Aaron's family. Um, okay, and then Sariah was secretary. Benaiah was. Uh, over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. So it's just kind of telling us who the upper echelon of his administration are. And I think that is it for the day. Uh, God bless you. I, I, truly pray, I truly pray that the Lord blesses you through this. Um, it's, it's been good for me to, to put this in recording, and I hope it's a blessing to you.